Welcome to the J.D. Power Travel Podcast. I'm Michael Vermillion with J.D. Power, and with me today are Mike Taylor, who leads our travel practice, and Jenny Corwin, our lead analyst for travel, and also Andrea Stokes, our practice leader for hospitality. So, Mike and Jenny and Andrea, welcome. Hello. Hello. So I think we want to start today just by acknowledging uh, this. we're recording this podcast in March of 2020, and it's a very um, challenging time uh, for the travel industry and also for travelers. So we just wanted to acknowledge that. Uh, but we do think there's some timely topics uh, to talk about, and so that's what we're going to cover in today's podcast. Mike, why don't we start with the airlines? And there's, of course, many topics uh, related to the airlines, but one that could be enduring is this concept of social distancing. It seems like social, social distancing might be with us for a while. So, so how are we practicing social distancing on the airplanes, and, and, uh, and is it working? Well, at the moment, what the airlines are trying to do is, because they've just had reduced loads, and that's the percentage of seats that are filled in any particular flight, the loads have been so low that they're able to allow people to spread out. And there is a little bit of load balancing that happens, uh, believe it or not. Um, it's much easier to uh, fly the aircraft when the load is balanced when, uh, versus when it's unbalanced, especially towards the back of the – if you have the weight in the back of the aircraft, that's not uh, ideal. Um, so right now they're allowing, uh, just before takeoff, um, people to re, um, uh, you know, rearrange themselves uh, in seats and get a little bit of space between them. And uh, also the air filtration, to give a little bit of a um, kudos to the uh, air uh, travel industry, the air filtration systems of aircraft, modern aircraft, far, far better than they used to be you know, probably 25, 30 years ago. So there is a lot of um, screening out that happens there. Whether it's totally effective, um, I'm not sure. I'm not an epidemiologist or a microbiologist. Oh, she, maybe she would ask Jenny, as she has a microbiology degree. Um, but in any event... Um, it's a little bit harder to catch uh, any kind of virus within an aircraft itself. So they're doing this, but the interesting thing to me, as someone who has been at was at JD Power during 9/11 and the aftermath of that, um, there's going to be certain human behaviors I believe we're going to observe that are common to both of these events. Uh, after 9/11, uh, really the processes changed on what people did on aircraft, how people got onto the aircraft. It was quite a shock for travelers to see armed guards, for example, walking around with automatic weapons on them. Um, the amount of dogs that were being used uh, on the airport uh, increased shortly after 9-11. And those put people on edge. And then on the aircraft, as we have mentioned in other podcasts and webinars, um, certain flights you weren't allowed to stand up at all during a flight period. Um, generally, those shuttle flights between Boston or among Boston, New York, and and Washington, D.C. So those were things that, you know, took effect and uh, unsettled passengers. Now we're going to be looking around, I believe, to see how close am I sitting to that next person. And when anybody coughs or sneezes, I think that we're going to get that same tension that we saw in post-9-11 when people stood up on an aircraft to go to the bathroom. You know, that's uh, people's heads picked up and the tension level went up, went up when people were just acting really quite normally. So I, I expect that we'll see this for a little bit, uh, but as we go back to normal and coronavirus recedes, as I've been telling everybody, all epidemics end, all of them, and this one will too, uh, I believe we'll eventually get back to normal um, when people get on an aircraft and someone coughing or sneezing won't be a catastrophic event anymore. Okay, thanks, Mike. 
Andrea, so, so hotels are mostly empty today, um, but they, like Mike said, we are going to see a recovery at some point. Um, so, so what's that going to look like for the hotel industry and for, for hotel guests? Uh, can we expect uh, discounts um, to, to uh, incent uh, hotel guests to return? Yes, I think there will be some discounting, although I think the the jury is out on whether discounting uh, really helps in the end. You know, of course, right now, there is no amount of demand that discounting will help simply because people cannot travel. Um, they're prevented from traveling. Um, but as we come out of this and, and try to recover, um, I think hoteliers really will have to be careful uh, about the ways in which they'll try to, um, you know, spur spur demand. Um, you know, it, it may not be discounting. It, it you know, may not be, um, you know, sending more inventory to the OTAs, you know, because, again, some of those things can end up uh, hurting hurting you in the long run to do that. So um, I do think, you know, different types of, as travel comes back in general, I think different types of trips will kind of come back in, in different waves. So in similar to after 9-11, I think a lot of um, driving trips, you know, staying relatively close to home yet still going out, and enjoying a destination that perhaps you haven't been to before, um, or staying in a in a, a resort or a hotel that you've never stayed in before. I think those types of trips will come back first. It's it's the longer haul vacations and sort of the um, the vacations that you know require a bigger investment that will take a longer time to come back. Um, unfortunately. You know, that that will affect, um, you know, trips to uh, Orlando where you're, you know, you, you have a higher investment in terms of going to the theme parks and um, and in, you know, booking a resort in Orlando. And, you know, those trips tend to be um, just a bigger investment for people. So I think those types of vacations will take a little bit longer to come back. But I think, you know, hotels that are. And resorts that are in uh, or near a large metropolitan area, yet sort of outside the city um, and, and sort of within driving distance from a major metro area, could do very, very well. You know, even if um, the resort is a luxury resort or an upper upscale resort, because it does give people that sort of resort type vacation experience. Um, yet it's, it doesn't involve necessarily getting on a plane or, um, you know, bigger expenses that are involved with a longer haul trip. So I, I think we're seeing, you know, that, that that type of travel will, will kind of be the first um, types of leisure travel vacations that people will um, start to come back to. Okay, thanks, Andrea. Uh, Mike, uh, moving to the airports, uh, we've seen some changes at the airports uh, with, uh, for, for example, enhanced screening uh, for um, passengers returning from um, uh, overseas. Uh, so when when we get back to it and um, uh, passengers start traveling uh, the airports through the airports again, 
Uh, what kind of changes can they expect to see when they return to the airports? Well, I think that those uh, temperature, forehead temperature checks are, are something we're going to see more often than not, probably, to be honest with you, because it's a relatively easy thing to do. And it may slow down the process, but it's probably a good thing to do these temperature checks while we have lower passenger volumes uh, and we're able to board everybody on the aircraft in a reasonable time frame. And it also protects the airlines and the airports from being that, quite literally, the carrier uh, of anything bad that might happen. So not only they're looking out for the health of their passengers, but also their crew uh, members as well. And I think airports and airlines will want to partner on those kinds of things. I believe that eventually, when we go to the full system of facial recognition, there will be a temperature component in that as well, because it's relatively easy to do. It's just another sensor to add to that little mirror screen that people look into. Um, and it uh, happens relatively quickly. And I believe that will actually be part of the future as well. If it wasn't in the plans already, it probably should be. Okay. Uh, we saw one of the changes that was made recently was that uh, Enterprise lowered the fee for the military and the students who were trying to find a way out after uh, flights were canceled and schools were shut down and so forth. So I, I guess one question would be if it's okay to lower the fees for 18 to 21-year-olds and, and students, um, can that be a permanent change or, or, or the fees going to come back? Well, as much as we'd like to see it be a permanent change, because it would certainly open up a you know brand new field of renters, being you know 18 to 21 year olds that uh, could rent a car without having to pay an extra fee or having their parents co-sign for insurance, um, it's highly unlikely to tell you to, to be completely honest with you. Uh, really, the it really has to do with uh, the, the demographics and the um, actuarial tables that uh, insur insurance companies are so famous for, and really those, anybody between the ages of 16 and 21, uh, they generally carry a much higher risk of property damage and body, bodily, body damage, um, both literally and figuratively, um, as, a, as a cohort. And that's the reason why these kind of rules are in effect. The insurance companies are saying, you need to minimize your risk. You're saying this to the insurance, to the rental car companies, <clears throat> and really they don't want to see their property damage bills go up either. Uh, so unfortunately, unless there's going to be some drastic change in how responsible teenagers and slightly post-teenagers become, I don't expect that to stick around simply because the liability is so great there from an insurance standpoint <clears throat> and also, <clears throat> excuse me, from a repair standpoint as well. By the way, that's not COVID-19. I just have to have a slight catch in my throat. Okay, thanks, Mike. So just to finish on maybe a little bit of a lighter note on uh, the digital side of travel, um, one of the uh, innovations we've seen, uh, and, and this will, will um, send this one to you, Jenny, uh, one of the innovations we've seen is uh, quote-unquote virtual travel, so uh, ways to get out and actually visit a museum, for example, uh, with a virtual tour. So so what kind of things are you seeing um, at your household in terms of um, virtual travel opportunities? Yeah, so I, I think this is actually, it is really cool. And, and when you really think about it, I'm, I'm trying to think of it really positively in, in terms of everybody has got all this great opportunity to get their travel inspiration right now, right? So we can't go a lot of places, but there's so many opportunities to 
tour virtual museums uh, for free, the Guggenheim, the Van Gogh Museum, the Met, the Smithsonian, NASA's offering free tours of two different facilities. Um, there's also aquariums and zoos that have live cams. So being in Michigan where it's cold, we wouldn't even be at the zoo. So to be able to see the animals in the San Diego Zoo, uh, in the Atlanta Zoo, that's that's a pretty cool opportunity. Right now, my daughter is on a virtual field trip learning about deep-sea animals um, at an aquarium. She's three, so that's really cool for her because uh, as a preschooler, she wouldn't really have a lot of those opportunities just yet. Um, I've also seen virtual theme park tours. And another really cool thing we found recently was virtual walking tours of national parks. Uh, some of the National Park Service members uh the park rangers teamed up with Google to do uh, video tours of some of the national parks, like walking tours. So um, it, it just it is. There's a lot of opportunity out there to really experience everything that we have, and we're happy. The best part about this happening now is at least we're in a very digital and connected age, so we can still get out there and see things without really leaving. And and my hope is though that by doing this now. Uh, when we are all able to, to get out there and really go, we'll have tons of inspiration of the things we really want to experience in person because we've we've had this virtual experience now. Okay, great, Jenny. Thank you. So that's going to wrap it up for this month. Uh, Mike, Jenny, Andrea, thanks so much for joining us today. You're quite welcome. Thanks for having us. Thank you. And. And thanks to our listeners for joining as well. Uh, to learn more about the J.D. Power Travel Practice, please follow us on LinkedIn, uh, or you can visit us on the web at jdpower.com business. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>